Good to have you with us this morning. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 1 through 9. This is our Joy to the World teaching series, and we're going to see if this service goes better than the last. We're going to have to excommunicate just a bunch of people here. No, I'm kidding. We had some major technical problems. We're talking about anxiety this morning, so it was a big test for me, the first service. I had to spend the first five minutes of the intro without sound because we were having such problems and interference in here with the sound. So, hey, so far, so good. (laughs) So here we go. If you have your Bibles, Philippians 4, Joy to the World teaching series. We've got one, two more to go after this one. And uh, as you well know, Jesus coming to this earth was good news of great joy. The book of Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul, teaches us how we can have this good news of great joy in every aspect of our life, regardless of what's going down. And today we're talking about anxiety, joy and anxiety. If you have your sermon notes, you can follow along with this intro. Anxiety issues in our modern times are out of control. They're rampant. Would you agree with that? I think most of us would agree with that. Let me just give you a couple stats. I won't bore you with a lot of stats, but 43% of adults, close to one half of our adult population, suffer adverse stress health effects. Two-thirds of all office visits to family physicians are due to stress-related symptoms. That's all the stats I'll give you, but it's, a, it's rampant in our society today. Let's first of all look at normal anxiety just to, just as part of the intro normal anxiety that is non-physiological non-chemistry oriented uh, anxiety happens and moves us to action when a good thing in our life is being threatened so there is good anxiety God wired us up to And we are emotional beings. God is an emotional God. The Bible talks a lot about that. One aspect of our emotion is that we do become anxious. And that's when a good thing in our life is is being threatened. For instance, uh, a good thing would be you're hearing of layoffs where you work. And it would be a good thing to get a little anxious, to blow the dust off of your resume and maybe start looking around. Uh, Another good type of anxiety would be that um, your spouse feels disconnected and so you should be a little anxious about that and do everything you can to find ways to connect with them and to make them feel connected that would be normal anxiety but then there is an inordinate anxiety that's what we're going to really talk about here this morning inordinate anxiety happens when a good thing that has been promoted to an ultimate thing in your life So you take a good thing, it can be a marriage, a job, any number of things, your investments, and you've elevated this now from a good thing to an ultimate thing. It's your source of identity, significance, security, and that becomes threatened. It's only obvious that the uh, anxiety meter is going to peg. Does that make sense? So you're going to have this inordinate anxiety that's going to come as a result of that. But inordinate anxiety can also happen when multiple good things in our life are being threatened all at the same time beyond our God-given capacity to manage, such as your marriage is on the rocks, kids are over the rails, family member in the hospital, trouble with the boss at work, any number of things. As they begin to pile up, it can create inordinate anxiety. I believe that oftentimes God allows that. In fact, He always allows that because He is in control. We'll talk about His sovereignty here this morning. But He allows that primarily to push us closer to Him so that we become more reliant upon Him and also be able to identify our, our idolatry issues in our life 
and to identify those things in our life that we've moved from good to ultimate, but also to not just drive us closer to him, but drive us closer to one another, to where we begin to reach out in community because we need the support of others and we also need his support. Otherwise, uh, we're going to crash and burn in life. And so that's that inordinate anxiety. Now, what's interesting is that in the context here, Paul was in jail with the possibility of being executed under extreme anxiety, and yet he was rock solid. So the, so the question this morning is, how can we face the issues of our life, the high anxiety times, the inordinate anxiety, and be rock solid in the midst of that? That's where we're headed with our study. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Once again, as we go before the throne of grace, God, we... Um, Words cannot even come close to describing your beauty, your glory, your greatness, and the reality of the fact that you love us. You love us with an everlasting love. You, you sent your son Jesus to, to die for us, to give us this fullness of life. And God, you're here this morning to meet with us through worship, through the study of your word. You're sovereign, you're all-knowing and wise, you have an everlasting love for us. God, help us to see that more clearly. Help us to understand more fully what it tells us in Psalm 55, 22, that we can cast our burdens upon you and that you will sustain us. You will not allow the righteous to be shaken. Those who put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will not be shaken. So God, help us to learn how to work through the anxiety issues of our lives and understand that anxiety is is really the cause of of the many sins that we have in our life. And so we pray that you would strike at the root of our anxiety issues, which is unbelief about, about who you are, what you have done, and what you want to do in our lives. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. So here's where we're going with this. Joy and anxiety happens. I'm going to give you this big idea, and then we're going to apply it three different ways. Let me read the text, Philippians 4, 1 through 9. This is absolutely one of my most favorite texts in the Bible, and I probably say that every week. And this whole book's my most favorite. Uh, But this particular text, I've gone to this text many times in time of need, in times of anxiety, in times of stress. And it has uh, led me to the throne of grace where I have received amazing grace and mercy from my, my daddy, my father, my savior, my king. And so if you're stressed out, good to have you here this morning. This is a good place for you to be. Because I, I pray that we will be able to begin to see clearly, more clearly, what God wants to speak to us. Let me read the text. Starting at verse 1, chapter 4, Philippians. Therefore, my dear brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown... Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Let's read the next verse together and aloud. This is the key verse to this whole book. Four chapters to this book, 
Philippians, let's read it together. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Powerful statement. If you took that statement alone and just begin to memorize that, meditate on that, walk through the implications of that verse, it would begin to make all the difference in the, in the world. It really would. You would begin to see, because I believe that as you begin to see more clearly the beauty, the glory of Jesus and what he has done for you and for me, the natural response would be elation, joy. You would be rejoicing. And this, this is a command. He's commanding us. So what he's wanting us to do is, man, live in the reality of the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and all that he has done for you. And the result of that will be rejoicing. That's why he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Live in the reality of this. And again, I say, rejoice. Okay, let me go back to the text and we'll unpack it. Um, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amazing text. <laughs> just reading it is just it just blows me away. So let's unpack it here this morning. Let's walk through it. Here's your first big idea. This is the most probably the most important point you're going to get all morning. Joy in anxiety happens when I apply eternal principles to temporal places, so eternal principles to temporal places through spiritual disciplines. Joy and anxiety happens, and so he teaches us this right from the get-go. Look at verse 1. Keep your Bibles open. Verse 1, he says, therefore. Anytime there's a therefore, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And he's referring back, and he also refers back in the word thus. So he says, therefore, and then he says, stand firm thus in the Lord. So what is he talking about here? He's referring back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. And if you've got your Bibles open, you can just look back at verse 20, and he's saying, but our citizenship is in heaven. Your home is in heaven. That's what he's saying. So how are we going to stand firm? You're going to stand firm because you know that your citizenship is in heaven, your home is in heaven. That's how you stand firm. That's how you're rock solid during difficult times. So he's, he's wanting us to begin to see this, this eternal principle, this eternal principle, bring it down into your temporal places. And, of course, we're going to talk about how to do that through spiritual disciplines. I, as I study, I usually study from a lot of different resources, but I remember I was studying from Mark Driscoll, who's from Mars Hill, Seattle, and he said... He said that anxiety is not something that you manage. It's actually a sin that you must confess. He actually calls in. He's talking about more of the inordinate because uh, regular normal anxiety is a part of our life. But when it moves into the, into the realm of this inordinate where it dominates our life, obviously it's sin. I was also studying from John Piper who, who he said that it's actually the root of our anxiety is unbelief. I want you to think about that for a minute. 
He says, the root of anxiety is unbelief. And it's because we're not living in the reality of, of God and who, how big God is and what he's done for us. And, and I really believe that. I believe that most of our anxiety problems is due to the fact that we have just this small view of God. We just have such a little, little view of God. And the more we see God's grandeur and greatness, our anxiety issues begin to shrink. Um, apply eternal principles to temporal places through spiritual discipline. I need to talk about this just for a few moments because our, our society is really quite interesting. What, what he's teaching us... Oh, by the way, I, I needed to say this. I didn't say this also. You'll notice that he immediately goes right into... After he says, therefore stand firm thus in the Lord, referring back to that we are citizens of heaven. I don't know if you noticed this. Then he turns to the disagreement of two members in the church. Did you notice that? The disagreement. And then in verse 2, notice he doesn't teach them, okay, now I'm going to teach you conflict resolution skill. He doesn't say that. This is what he does. He takes... The eternal, he takes a couple eternal principles and brings them down into the temporal place of their conflict. By the way, I don't think that this conflict was a doctrine issue or otherwise Paul would have said something. Ah, this is doctrine, this person's wrong, this person's right, and we need to move on. Because Paul certainly didn't hesitate from dealing with doctrinal issues. I really believe this was probably an issue that oftentimes happens in most churches today. It's not so much doctrine as much as it is in in this non-essential area of liberty. Because as you've heard us say many times before is that in the, in the essentials of the Christian faith, there is unity, but in the non-essentials, there is liberty, but in all things, there should be harmony, there should be love. And so I really believe it was in one of these areas where maybe one sang on the worship team, the other one wanted to sing on the worship team, or maybe they both sang on the worship team and they didn't like each other and, and had this competitiveness nature going on. And, but, but he doesn't deal with, in, in the sense that, hey, you guys need to walk through these steps. He basically says... Remember what it says in verse 2? He says, agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Don't you understand who you are in Jesus Christ? He's taking this big eternal principle and bringing it to their petty, their petty temporal place. And then he also says, I don't know if you notice this, but in verse 3, he refers to the people that he's inviting to help them out. He's reminding all of them whose names are in the book of life. So you see him taking that eternal principle down into the temporal places. If you understood the implications of just that truth, that your name is in the book of life, this is not your home. If you understood that, that would, my goodness sakes, there's so much stuff that's petty in our lives that we stress out over. We We stress the small stuff. We really do. And much of our our conflict is over a lot of small stuff. But if we would begin to bring the reality of who Jesus is and all that he's done for us, a lot of that stuff would just not really matter to us. But see, we're not living in light of eternity. We're not living with the current perspective of eternity and these these big eternal things for our lives. Now, and the reason for that, there's, there's certainly a reason for that. It's because we live in a secularized society. But, but so what we've got to do is you must always see your little circumstances in the context of the eternal truth. You, you use cosmic truth on common circumstances is what, he, what we're learning here. And, and this is utterly different from how modern people deal with stress and, and cope with pressure. You pick up any book at Barnes & Noble or Borders or you turn on Oprah or Dr. Phil or any of these 
And what you're going to find is that they step over the principle, these eternal principles, and go right to the methods, the techniques. They never start like this in helping you to deal with stress. Hey, what is the purpose of life? What happens when we die? Is there a God? Are there moral absolutes? Is there a judgment? See, these are questions of epistemology. These are big, big picture questions. And you've got to ask those questions. You have to answer those questions if you're going to deal with the stress in your life. They typically start with methods, techniques, relaxation techniques. Think positive thoughts. Got to think positive thoughts. Garbage in, garbage out. Slow your pace. Reduce your schedule. Balance your life. How's your diet and sleep patterns? Here's what's interesting about the Bible. The Bible always deals with the big picture. By the way, if you read this Bible thinking that it's like, kind of like Aesop's fables... A bunch of morals. Oh, what do we need to learn today, Johnny and Susie? What are the morals of the story? And it, it doesn't do that. It's, it's, it's a book about, it's about God. It's a book about God. It's telling us something about God. It's also telling us something about us and our, our typical response to God. But it's, it's a book about God. And this is what I've learned is that my worship rises or falls with my concept of God. If you came in here and you're kind of apathetic, it's because you have a real small view of God. But the more you begin to see God, you begin to see the God of all creation who is madly in love with you, thinks the world of you, is pursuing you passionately and aggressively. He loves you. You're not here by chance. You're here by divine design. And the more you begin to understand that, and your vision of God, your view of God is more consistent with this book, I'll tell you, that will take care of the anxiety issues. It will. It, it just, it'll obliterate them. It'll blow them out. You'll go, what the heck? Why did I spend all my time worrying and fretting? And oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I, I had no idea you loved me so much. I had no idea you were, you were in control, you're sovereign, you're, and you're so wise, unbelievable. See, that's, but see, what happens is that we, we, can, we tend to deal with all these symptoms, and it's like putting a Band-Aid, Band-Aid on our lives. And, and uh, it's, it's a little bit like this. I was, my wife and I like going to a lot of different cities. We love cities. I would probably live downtown in the city here if we had a downtown city to live in. I mean, we don't have much of anything. Most people all live out in the suburbs here. Because the Phoenix, and they've always tried to regenerate it and get it going. But for some reason, there's not a lot of people that live down in the downtown area. Everybody travels down into that area for the most part. But it's nothing like most cities. But we, we enjoy going to New York City. How many of you have ever been to New York City? A lot of fun. That's a cool place. It's a cool place to hang out. We ought to plan a trip sometime, huh? What do you think? You have to keep up with Nancy and I because, because, see, what we do when we go to these cities, some of our favorite New York City and Seattle and uh, Gila Bend and, uh, <laughs> no, nah, I'm kidding. That was a bad joke. But we, uh, but we just went to Portland for the first time this last year. It was just a blast. Unbelievable. It was just a lot of fun. But when we get, go to, the best way to see a city is to walk. We just walk all over that place. And finally, about the second day or so, we were getting pretty tired. And we thought, hey, let's take the trolley. So we hopped in the trolley. We kind of had our, you know, our path kind of charted by the map and doing all that, checking it out. And we got in the trolley, and then all of a sudden we took a different turn in the trolley. The trolley began to take us out of town, and we're looking at each other like, what in the world? We don't want to do that. It was kind of one of those moments. I think she was more stressed out than what I was, because that's how she is. No, she's actually, I'm, I'm the one that's more stressed out, actually. 
But actually, I was pretty cool about it, and uh, she was a little more stressed out. And it, the same thing kind of happened when we were in San Diego. We took the train and did the trolley, and it began to take us way out in the, into an area. It's like, I don't think we should be here anymore. It's kind of one of those things. But uh, as we're driving, as we're going, we, we both looked at each other. It was kind of one of those moments. We looked at each other, and we go, we don't know where in the world we're going. But boy, we're making really great time, aren't we? And we were, but we didn't know where we were going. See, what happens is when you start dealing with stress issues and you talk about relaxation techniques and think positive thoughts and slow the pace down, you're making maybe really good time, but you don't know the heck of where you're going. And, and, and see, that's why it's important to have the, big, the bigger picture because much of those stress issues could be dealt with if you just had a renewed vision with a current perspective of eternity dropped deep into your heart as it relates to your current uh, situation. It would change everything. I mean, you wouldn't have to do the stress technique, probably. Although, and there's nothing wrong with any of these things. But sometimes doing all the stress stuff, the stress techniques, is keeping us from pushing our heart closer to the creator of the universe in whom we ultimately need. But we, we, we manage it. We kind of manage our stress. And God's saying, wait, what are you, why are you trying to manage that? You don't even know where you're going. You don't even know the heck of where you're going. You need to get a clue about what life is all about and begin to understand that I love you. I'm in control. I'm sovereign. I'm all-knowing and wise. I'm going to take care of you, but you're not in touch with that. And so all the deep breathing, you know, things that you do, all the anxiety things that you do, it's kind of worthless. It's a Band-Aid, Okay. And that's why it's so important that we live with this current perspective of eternity. And that's why he's letting us know. He's telling us. I mean, we tend to miss the forest for the trees. You've heard this statement before. We tend to miss God's loving, wise control of our lives in the midst of our daily trials, troubles, and temptations. And it's because, it's because we're secular. I mean, what is, we live in a secular society. And secularism, as opposed to eternal, secularism just means nowism. We, we live for now. We live for right now. I mean, we, we, we want comfort now. We want, we want to achieve this now. And God's saying, no, 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 it's a much bigger picture than that. It's not just about your comfort. It's not about, you know, being trial-free and all these things. I'm trying to do a work in your life, but you're not paying attention. And now you picked up some self-help book and you're trying, to, you're trying to manage it. I'm trying to get you to come closer to me so that you can get this bigger picture. Oh, also, I'm trying to drive your heart closer to your family and friends and those at Desert Breeze so that you can begin to uh, really experience more of my love and, and understand who I am and what I'm about. I came across a, a letter that I thought helped me to understand this more clearly. Maybe it'll help you. As a college student, wrote the following letter to her parents. Dear Mom and Dad, just thought I would drop you a note to clue you in on my plans. I've fallen in love with a guy called Jim. He quit high school after grade 11 to get married. About a year ago, he got a divorce. We've been dating for two months, and we plan to get married in the fall. Until then, I've decided to move into his apartment. I think I might be pregnant. At any rate, I dropped out of school last week, although I'd like to finish college sometime in the future. On the next page, the letter continued. Mom and Dad... I just wanted you to know that everything I've written so far in this letter is false. None of it is true. But mom and dad, it is true that I got a C- in French and flunked my math. 
It is true that I'm going to need a lot more money for my tuition payments. <laughs> this girl made her point, didn't she? Huh? Even bad news can sound good if it's seen from a different perspective. I'm telling you, your bad news will become like good news in light of the eternal principles, in light of who Jesus is, his beauty and glory and his greatness. See, that's what we need more than anything. That's why we spend the time, you know, the, the upfront. It's not the preliminaries. No, that's, that's the time of worship, a time of sitting at Jesus' feet and, and beholding him. Because it's in the beholding of him that we become, we become more like him. He, he transforms our lives. We begin to see his, his glory and his beauty and how great he is. And that my, my problems tend to shrink in light of, of who he is and what he's all about. So I gave you some cross-references there. You can see how this is, I mean, this, this principle is throughout Scripture. Isaiah 26, 3 through 4, that was, a, that was a verse that I memorized years ago. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is stayed on thee. That's King James Version, isn't it? But then it goes on and it talks about, it says, Trust in the Lord forever. Why? Because he is an everlasting rock. <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's, what is he saying? He says, no matter what you're going through, man, keep your mind on him. Begin to understand who he is because in the midst of those those things in your life. He's there. He's an everlasting rock. He will give you the strength that you need as you get through that. John 14, 25 through 27 is another cross-reference I put there on your notes. You can look up later and study. Really a great, great set of verses. He tells his disciples, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. I mean, how would you like it if you came in and you wanted a little counseling and so I sit down with you and, and you're all stressed out. I'm stressed out about this. And I, you know, you're running crazy and I go, hey, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. Come on. That's what he said. He said that you need to take, you need to get a hold of that. But then he says, hey, you need to step into the peace that I offer you. It's not like the world. The world offers peace, certainly. It's temporal. I've got an eternal kind of peace. James, half-brother of Jesus, he wrote, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience. So let patience have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, not lacking in anything. In other words, it can grow you up. It's going to bring a level of maturity and intimacy that otherwise you would never have. But if you're struggling with all of this, ask God for wisdom. The fifth verse of that first chapter of James, uh, he says, ask God for wisdom. He'll give you wisdom so that you can kind of navigate through this. What is wisdom? You remember we talked about it? We spent most of the summer on it. It's seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. It's taking this eternal principle and bringing it down into the temporal places of my life. And the more I begin to do that and live in the reality of it, it, it begins to change me, changes how I respond. So let's apply this. Three ways we're going to apply it this morning, and that's the rest of this text, is that so let's, we need the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer receives circumstances through the wisdom of God. So the discipline of prayer receives circumstances through the wisdom of God. Now look at verse, verse 6. He says, Do not be anxious about what? About what? Anything, but in everything. Do you like that? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. So, okay, you can answer out loud here. Let's, let's go through the list of anythings, okay? Because you have an anything, and I've got an anything. It fits in there. It fits on the list. Everybody has an anything. So, 
Do not be anxious about anything. Would that involve a bad report from the doctor? You got cancer. What do you think? Yes? Okay, you nice and loud. Okay, very good. How about you're working through divorce issues? You, you, you know, you got a real rocky marriage and maybe the, maybe one, the one files for divorce. Does that include that? How about the death of a loved one or even your impending death? Okay. How about loss of a home? Okay. How about car problems? Okay. How about you've had a pet for 15 years and you're going to have to put it down? Only if it's a dog. If you got cats, they're evil, they're wicked, and uh, Jesus doesn't really even care. I'm kidding. That was bad. See, it's been a while since I've thrown out any cat or dog jokes, so there you have it, okay? We're a little overdue. It's been about six months or longer. So there you go. No, I mean, that sounds crazy, but yeah, even uh, we had a dog, Brownie. We had her for 15 years. You know, I took care of her. I thought the kids would learn responsibility. And that didn't work. The dog would have died before they learned responsibility. And so I took care of her, and I never thought that my heart would really grow attached, and it it certainly did. It was just really interesting. Here's what I love about this. He says, do not be anxious. And that word anxious means don't be jerked around by everything that's in this world. It means just literally just to be pulled here, pulled there, like, oh, i got to take care of that. Oh, man, i got to, oh, and I forgot this. And oh, oh." That's what he's saying. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. With prayer and supplicate. Do you hear do you hear the do you hear the call of the Father to you? He loves you. I want to hear about it. Everything. Everything. Everything about your life. I love. I love you. Whatever matters to you matters to me. I'm a big God. I love you. I want to be inti- in, intimately involved in every aspect of your life. Oh my goodness. I didn't see it this last week, but I was reading that this morning in the first service. It just hit me. It's just like, oh, that's his invitation to us. He says, man, don't be anxious. Some of you need to hear that. Man, don't be, why are you stressed out? Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, with prayer, that's the big general communication, conversation, communion with the Father. With prayer, supplication is the kind of prayer. That's just meaning petition. Bring your request. And then he says something really interesting. And thanksgiving thanksgiving so when you come at some point as you interact with me and you unload and you give me these issues there will be thanksgiving more in your heart as you begin to release these things to me and put these things in my hands i I believe that's what he's he's getting at i gave you a lot of different verses to help us understand this whole idea of god's wisdom god did not design the world to be the mess it is today would you agree with that it's not part of what God designed. And, uh, and so what, in, in fact, we know that it's, suffering is the result of sin and alienation from God. But this is what we need to know. God is still in control. It's the sovereignty of God. And God controls evil, otherwise evil would be out of control. I believe he, re, he reigns it in. I think that this place would be much worse than what it is even to this day. And even what happened in Tucson yesterday saddens my heart, but it doesn't surprise me because of the wickedness that's all around us. And so we pray diligently for the, for the folks in Tucson. 
And we pray for ourselves. We pray for our nation. We need to continue to do that. And yet God is in control. God is sovereign. And yet, and, and we need to understand that. We need to keep that in mind. And so to pray with thanksgiving means to thank God for the answer before he gives it because we know that in his wisdom, he only does what is in our best interest for his glory. You see, when we worry, we worry because we don't pray and we don't trust God's wisdom to do what is in our best interest for his glory. I like what um, John Newton, the hymn writer, Amazing Grace, is what he said. Everything is necessary that he, God, sends. Everything is necessary that he sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Listen to what Tim Keller says. Another quote. He says, worry is basically arrogance and assumption that you know best how life ought to go. But humility brings a peace as it submits to the wisdom of God. So real peace depends on humility. It's submitting to his wisdom. So the discipline of prayer receives circumstances through the wisdom of God. I was thinking about this, and as I wrote this down in my notes, it says, we can't understand the things, we can't understand why things happen any more than a four-year-old can understand why he can't eat candy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, stay up all hours of the night, and want to play with butcher knives. Uh, I have a four-year-old. In fact, we're going to celebrate his birthday this afternoon. He's, a, he's my grandson, Braden, and him and his little brother, Cohen, uh, when they come over, they want candy. And uh, Grandpa gives them all the candy they want. <laughs> yeah. And then we send them home. Yeah. They payback. And they're out of control. And then when they don't sleep for 10 days in a row, then, and then they'll never bring them back over. And that'll break my heart. And so we won't do that anymore. But anyway... Uh, yeah, it's interesting because they want candy, and a lot of times they've come over before dinner, and we, we have to force them to eat their dinner before we can give them any candy. And uh, it's interesting, and they don't really quite understand all of that any more than we understand all that God is up to. Now, think about the difference between uh, Cohen and even Braden, Braden, my four-year-old grandson, and the wisdom difference between us two. I know, at, at times, not much. Okay, that's what Nancy would say. But for the most part, when I'm on my game, it's a good thing there's a major difference between what I understand and what, and, and what they understand. That is nothing compared to the wisdom difference between me, finite man, and an infinite God. You can trust his love. You can trust his wisdom. You can trust his control, his sovereignty. You're not going to be able to understand it this side of eternity. Most of what happens, you're not going to understand. I gave you some verses there to help you to kind of walk through that. But that's what I believe. That's why the Bible says, unless you come to God as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this. In what area of your life do you need to apply this truth to? That you need to begin to, the discipline of prayer receives circumstances through the wisdom of God. What are some things in your life that you're just still shaking your head over? You're going, what the heck? Why did that happen? I don't understand. That you need to apply the idea that God is wise and he's in control too, specifically to your life. I got a lot. I still struggle in my life in issues and I'm thinking, man, if only... I kind of second-guess myself, and I, I say all these things, and really what that comes down to is that I just don't trust his wisdom. So what is it that you need to apply that to in your life? You've got areas. 
So what you've got to do, that when you have that, that anxiety that rises, that resentment, that regret, you've got to take the eternal truths of who God is and bring them down into your heart at that moment. And say, God, I trust you. I trust you with my life. I, it's hard for me to even say that, God, but teach me how to trust you. It could be the loss of, of a loved one. I know that, man, we just took a major hit this last year. Many people lost loved ones. And you might not like how that all went down. You turn it over to his wisdom. Here's the next one. We got two more. Here's the next one. Number two, the discipline of moderation responds to circumstances through the grace of God. Ooh, I got a rock and roll here. The discipline of moderation responds to the circumstances Response to circumstances through the grace of God. Notice what he says, verse 4. Key, key verse, rejoice in the Lord always. So how do you rejoice in the Lord always? How do you do that? Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That word reasonableness is this. This is radical evenness of temper. It's radical evenness of temper. Let me explain that. There's a text, I put some cross-references here, 1 Corinthians 7, 29-31. It sounds a little odd, let me read it to you. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Praise God. I've been wanting to do that for a long time. Now, that's not what you think it means, Okay. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. What is, what is he saying? He's saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't make any of these the ultimate in your life. It's not your identity. It's not your security. It's not your acceptance in life. It's not that. So don't do that. Don't put so much weight in that. Live as if that doesn't carry that much weight in your life. You're not saying it's not important. It's a good thing, but don't elevate it to an ultimate thing. Jesus did the same thing to his disciples when they came back. Seventy-two of them had come back after a little mission trip that he had sent them out on. It's in Luke 10, 20, and they're rejoicing. They're going, man, you're not going to believe it. We were casting out demons. We were seeing some amazing things happen. And Jesus talked a little bit about Satan, and then he goes, Hey, guys, listen to me. Come here. Don't rejoice that you have a great big ministry. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. What was he doing? The discipline of moderation. So that they could respond to circumstances through the grace of God. Once again, John Newton, hymn writer, this is what he says. If you understand the grace of God, it makes the worst times bearable and the best times leavable. This is what is known as holy moderation. See, if you have the smile of God, if you have the grace of God, which we do, all other frowns are inconsequential. Think about that. You have the smile of God. You have the grace of God. Grace of God. You have his favor. If you have his favor... Oh, well, you're snubbed at work. Oh, well, you're snubbed at home. Oh, well, you have the smile of God. Do you understand that? That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at. That's what we need to understand. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. This, this radical evenness of temper 
If you have the commendation of God, all other commendation is trivial. See, a Christian has sorrow, but not despair during times of loss. A Christian has happiness from good times, but it's not his ultimate joy. When we stress out, we have forgotten who we are, what Christ has accomplished for us, and what Christ has in store for us. Um, I always, I'm kind of amazed a lot of times. I, I watch these different uh, things on TV, these advertisements. Recently, I have a couple, couple of illustrations. I'll just give you one here. Is this publishing clearinghouse is giving away a million dollars uh, a year for the rest of your life. How many would like to have that? Just show of hands. Okay, we'll sign you up. We'll sign you up. I mean, I wouldn't push it away. I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think I... In fact, I've already got it spent, okay? I've got it already spent. And I think that would be really a cool thing. It's really interesting when you see these people and they go to the door. You ever notice how the people respond? It's like, man, they're just, they're crazy. I mean, I'd probably be a little excited. I probably just wouldn't go, hey, that's cool. Yeah, right on. I probably wouldn't do that, okay? But I'm telling you, that a million dollars for life till you die, every year until you die, is nothing. Is nothing. Is nothing. Remember, we already studied it. It's all crap compared to the surpassing knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, having your name written in the book of life, any of those things. And too often we're not living in the reality. That's why he says you've got to practice this, this sense of this discipline of moderation response to circumstances through the grace of God. Do you understand the grace of God and live in the reality of it? Because I'll tell you what, it won't make your high so high and it won't make your low so low. That's all it means. Next one. Here we go. The discipline of the presence of God rules circumstances with the peace of God. He says if you do these things, basically in verse 7, he says the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. And then in verse 9, he says, and the God of peace will be with you. It's one thing to seek the peace of God, but, it, uh, but you must not stop there. You must seek the God of peace. There's a major difference between seeking the peace of God versus seeking the God of peace. How do you know you're only seeking the peace of God? It's because you only pray when bad things are happening. Um, by the way, that's not, I'm not saying that's bad. Well, I just don't want to come to him only when I'm hurting. Well, okay, come to him. He's inviting you. But don't stop there. Because you're missing out on the most important thing about the Christian life. And that's not the peace of God, but the God of peace. The God of peace. It's knowing the God of peace. And see, in a sense, you're using him. But I would hope that you would get beyond that. And you will, if you indeed encounter him and know him. And, and as you begin to understand who he is, the God of peace, man, you'll experience the peace of God. To seek his presence, his gifts, more than his presence, that is the gift giver, is idolatry. And eventually you'll become angry at God for not giving you what you think you deserve. But listen to me. If you seek his presence, you'll never be disappointed, even when life is extremely disappointing. Because you have him. I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, reading the quotes here, but one of my favorite books, man, it just helps me to practice the presence of God. That's the title of it by Brother Lawrence. He's a, a, a monk back in the 
when was he? Back in the 17th century month, found incredible delight in the discipline of practicing the presence of God in the most menial, mundane, and even menacing times. Let me just read a couple quotes here. He's talking about this presence of God. We should practice God's presence through a continuing conversation with him that it would be shameful to trade such a relationship for trivial foolishness and that we should feed our souls on the highest thoughts of God. We can find deep joy by simply being with the Lord. And he goes on, he says, The greatest pains and joys the world has to offer can't compare to the experience of walking with God. That's what he's talking about here. Knowing the God of peace who will bring us the peace of God. So how do I know that God's wisdom is working for me, God's grace will restrain me from inordinate attachments, and God's peace will rule in me regardless of what is happening around me? Well, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to take communion. Let's prepare our hearts for communion. Those of that are going to serve us communion, if you would find your way back, Ryan's going to come up and lead us in a song. Oh, he's not going to do that? Okay. Ryan's been struggling this morning. He's been throwing up. And so keep him in your prayers. And so we're going to play a song here during this time. But let me, uh, let me walk you through this. It's on the bottom part of your notes. It's pretty amazing as we take communion here this morning because it really ties all this together. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five through 26, it says, Do this in remembrance of me. So, so when we take these elements, and by the way, if you're not a believer, you can let them pass by. If you do, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, take the elements, hang on to them, and we'll walk through them together here this morning. But Jesus, in his instruction to his disciples, and then Paul elaborates on it a little bit more in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four and 26, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And then he goes on and he says, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death. I found this really interesting, the word remember. The, the Greek roots means the R, re, in the midst, member, call to mind. And the word proclaim, the Greek means to make known publicly. So this is how I put it down. And this is what I want us to do here this morning. In the midst of your life, your crisis, think through the implications of my irrefutable, outrageous, sacrificial love for you on the cross and tell the truth of it brings calmness and confidence to your heart, which will be translated into your everyday life. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? God, we are so thankful for your presence here. I have sensed your presence throughout throughout this day, throughout this teaching, throughout the time of worship. God, you're here to minister to us. And I know that there are those that, God, we all struggle with anxiety in our lives. And so, God, help us to see you more clearly. And may we see how through your sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, that that's the guarantee that we have your presence in our life and all the issues of our life are taken care of through your wise, loving control. Help us to see that more clearly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
pretty amazing that uh, in Romans 8, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He's for you. I know, but I'm all screwed up. Yeah, I am too. And he's still for us because it's not by our works righteousness. It's, it's faith righteousness. That's why he died. He redeems us. He loves us. He takes care of us. He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but freely, but freely gave him for us all. How will he not also, along with him, freely give us all things? He will take care of all the lesser issues. That's what he's saying. He's saying, do you see the big eternal principle in that? Now bring it down into the everyday, the daily places of your life. And then the rest of the chapter, it goes, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Lord Jesus, help us, help us. Help us to live in the reality of that. We are so stressed out. We get maxed out. We get jerked from here to there. We're so concerned about what people think and what we're doing and all these things. God, there's only one thing that matters, and it's what you have said for time and eternity. Your value upon us is through the cross, what you've done on the cross. Our past sins are forgiven. Our present problems can be managed because you indwell us with your presence, and our future is secure. So the night that he was with his disciples, he broke bread and said, this represents my broken body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take together. Same night he took the cup. He said, this is the new covenant. And as often as you drink this cup, you, you proclaim my death. You tell people about my greatness and what I've done for you. And do this until I come back to get you. And that's what he said. So we take this together with that in mind. Father, we're thankful this morning that, that our bad things will work out for our good in your wisdom. God, if you can take a crucifixion and turn it into a resurrection, you can take our lives and work it for our good and your glory. We're thankful that, that our successes won't inflate us and our failures won't deflate us because our identity is, is in you and what you've accomplished for us on the cross. They, 
They, they exceed the, the joy of, the, that joy exceeds any sadness or anything else in life that we experience. And God, we also thank, thank you that through the cross, that the best things in life can't be taken from us, and that's your presence. Because you were forsaken, we know that we never will be. We thank you for that, in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me, please? So here's, here's what I would challenge you with next week. We're going to talk about uh, joy in, in discontentment. Ooh, sounds like fun. And we're going to talk about joy and discontentment. This is what I challenge you this morning. So, so this next week, as you go about your tasks, remember to apply the eternal principles to the temporal places through spiritual disciplines. May you walk in the reality of this and keeping in mind this eternal perspective of all of who God is, what he's done for you, and what he's going to continue to do in your life. And may through the discipline of prayer, you, you receive circumstances through the wisdom of God and through the discipline of moderation, respond to the circumstances through the grace of God and then through the discipline of the presence of God. Let that rule circumstances with the peace of God as you walk with the God of peace in Jesus' name. And if